Welcome to The Schooled Podcast, a podcast about Christian schooling. We believe that Christian schools are a countercultural, revolutionary movement and a significant part of what God is doing in the world today. Join us as we explore the Christian schooling movement, its origins, its purpose, and its future. Welcome back to The School Podcast. School Podcast. How are you, Josh? I'm pretty good. How are you, Damien? I'm good. Good. Busy time of the year. Yeah. It's halfway through term four and end of year is in sight. Mm. Oh, we're actually not too far away. And then it's our big summer holidays. It is. Year 12 are just about through the HSC examinations. Yeah. I just saw some students just before. They've got one to go. Yeah, wow. And uh, I think mentally they've already finished it. What a massive year it has been for them with COVID. I think it's amazing looking at some of those students too and seeing the challenge, like, you know, from talking to them earlier in the year when all this was happening and then seeing them actually almost through it and they've been focused and they've worked hard and it's actually pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. We're just incredibly proud of them. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, looking, I think they're looking forward to the end as well. And uh, I think a lot of people are looking forward to 2020 being over in a lot of ways (laughs) and, and starting fresh Mm. in, in 2021. I think, yeah, it's, it's exciting to be coming towards the end of what has been certainly a tumultuous year. It has. And like every year brings with it its set of difficulties. Uh, this year more so, and I think a, a good six-week summer break, you know, will be a nice. Like even if next year starts with some of the, some of the same limitations, I think everyone needs that kind of mental reset, don't they? It'll be a new. It'll be a fresh start mentality. <laughs> yes, yeah. that sounds good. So today we are we're talking about worldview. Yeah, and uh, and. And I guess what that means, like we talk in Christian schools about teaching with a, a Christian worldview or a you know, biblical worldview, um, but today we kind of want to explore and unpack a bit of that, don't we? Yeah, we do. I think uh, when we talk about worldview, and I know even when I've talked with students or we talk with staff, people struggle with this concept a little bit sometimes. Mm. And I remember the the simplest idea or version of a definition that I was given once mm. it was when I was doing Bible college. And I remember the lecturer just saying, everyone has a worldview. Yeah. A world, your worldview is the narrative or the story mm. you have inside your head that explains you know, why things are the way they yeah. are and uh, where, where it came from, why it is the way it is and where it's going. Yes. And we've all got, we've all got an internal narrative, whether there's gaps yeah. to be filled in or there's, uh, there's different spots in it. But uh, we've all got a little story that, mm. that explains reality to us. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's some parts of that, that we're aware of and there's heaps that we're a totally of, unaware of. A lot of it's subconscious, yeah? yeah? It's, it's the old story of the, um, the fish swimming around in the water and someone says, you know, how's the water? And he says, what water? Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all he knows. Yeah. Our worldview is a little bit like that. Yes, absolutely. And so I guess in that we want to look at worldview but then also discipleship. Yeah, and what forms our worldview yeah. and then how that actually leads to discipleship because Jesus called us to make disciples. It's pretty clear. Yeah. And we're all being discipled by something. Yes. And I was reading in, uh, in John Tyson's book, Beautiful Resistance, he tells a story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know, who's a phenomenal Christian back in, the, in Germany in the yeah. 30s. Yeah, amazing. And, um, and, and, and like an absolute hero of the faith. And he talks about how, uh, it says in 1933, and I'll just, I'll just read a little bit here. In 1933, the threat of Nazi power was growing in Germany, and many were concerned about the compromise of the church with the Nazi movement. 
And, and someone, a historian wrote that Hitler didn't want to merely rule German, Germany politically. He wanted to control the hearts and souls of its citizens. So this was a religious battle well before it was a political battle. Yeah. Which is, and you think he's, he's not just wanting to shift the political landscape. He wants to shift the worldview of people. He wants to disciple them to see life in a certain way. Yep. And so Bonhoeff with some others set about creating a Bible college uh, like an underground seminary mm. to uh, to train people, and his vision actually was basically a community committed to living the ethic that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount. And so they they set off to do this, but people were concerned that maybe he was being a bit too spiritual. And it says uh, a friend of his, uh, Wilhelm Niesel, he visited. Bonhoeffer because he was suspicious of too much spiritualism. Yeah, and, right. You know, and you, I mean, it makes me even think because sometimes I think even in our schools we we talk faith, and then sometimes like okay, we talk about faith now. We should get back to learning. And yeah, yeah and you can see that like in our lives, like we can easily have these dualistic ideas. And so actually, it says says here that that Bonhoeffer took Niesel on a rowing trip then on this the Oder Sound on this this lake there, and and it says when the two rowers reached the far shore. Bonhoeffer led Niesel up this small hill and in the distance they could see a vast field with runways of a nearby squadron. And German fighter planes take off and landing and soldiers moving hurriedly in purposeful patterns. Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans in training whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardness and cruelty. And he said it would be necessary to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. And then there's this quote from Bonhoeffer. He says, you have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. And so his whole vision was that his discipleship had to be stronger than, than theirs. Yeah, wow. And Hitler was like incredible at discipling people. Like he was discipling them for his cause. Mm. And Bonhoeffer's looking at them going, but we need to allow Jesus to shift our worldview to disciple us in a stronger way. Yeah. Which is challenged, like, and, and it makes me think to today, our worldviews are formed by so many things, and, and some of that we're aware of, and others we're totally unaware of, and we kind of allow things to happen. And in our schools, we can't allow for haphazard discipleship. You know, we have to be intentional. Not easy, like, that's easier said than done. But I do think, like, if you look in, it, like, I mean, we were talking before this about the US election. And of course, that's on everyone's, you know, I mean, tomorrow, tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow. Yeah. So, I mean, while we're, we'll, reco- while we're recording this, whenever we release it, we don't know what's going to happen. It. Yeah, I know. This is, um, yeah, this will be released in the future and we have no clue. But there's it, so I was reading another article that said so many people will be shocked at what happens because the, everything they follow leads them to believe that whatever they believe is the right thing. Yes. And so they're being discipled and their worldview is being formed by a certain like a certain algorithm, really. Yeah. And I think even when we look at social media and, and, and media in general, uh, it's talked a lot now around information feedback loops. Yes. So the, the more you go down a particular rabbit warren of information or uh, political ideology or worldview, yeah. uh, the more your uh, social media feeds and, yeah. and um, news feeds will actually give you more of that information to reinforce what you already thought. So um, it polarizes people and pushes people into camps. Mm. And and it's a big thing when, we look, when we're talking about worldview. So where does so Christian schools, where, mm. where do we fit? Or Christian ministry, where do we fit in this? Well, 
you know, part of our intro, we talk about, you know, Christian schools are revolutionary movement yeah. and a significant part of what God is doing. It is revolutionary because what we are trying to do, what we're called to do, mm. I believe in Christian schools is actually, um, it is countercultural. Yeah. There is a, um, you know, Romans 12 verse 1, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yeah. There's, there's, a, there's a way of thinking and a way of seeing the world that is worldly. Mm. And there is a different way of seeing the world and uh, and existing mm. in the world uh, that is the way of Jesus. Yes, but it's countercultural. It's it's counter to the normal. Mm. And as Christian schools, we are trying to be a staff that are countercultural in that way, and to and to help our young people and children uh, discover the countercultural way of Jesus. Yeah, but it's easier said than done. Oh, totally. And I mean, I talk to so many people who they go like, they in their heart they go, I believe that. But in practice, that's not always easily done, you know, to, to, to like leap. And considering that we have students who aren't all Christians or not all coming from Christian homes here, mm. that's, that, that in itself brings such a interesting dynamic. Yeah. So the power of those feedback loops of mm. information with social media and yep. media uh, really drives people into solidified, strong kind of ideologies oh, yeah. and and uh worldviews mm. so like, like saying people don't think they have a worldview yeah but everybody does yeah and uh that's that's the challenge because we want to be we talk about teaching from a christian worldview mm. and shaping young people's worldview i think it's really important to uh understand that we're not the only ones trying to disciple yes that, that, that if if we're not discipling them into the way of christ mm. Well, even if we are, there is also other forces discipling them into other ways of seeing the world and seeing life. Yeah, and they're really calculated. Yeah, like so. Um, in the the Barna study from Faith for Exiles, and we've talked about this before. Yeah, but they say that even using conservative estimates, the typical young person spends nearly twenty times more hours per year using screen driven media than taking in spiritual content. And then for the typical churchgoer, that it's still more than ten times. So, so you think. And and if like we're addicted to our phones or whatever, that's just the phone doing its job. Yeah, that's how it's designed. It's designed to disciple you. Like yeah. it's designed to actually draw you in and take as much time as it can of yours, so that you become you basically become its disciple. Yeah, it's shaped. Yeah. So what the content on your phone is shaping your values. Yes, shaping your uh, how you see the world. Mm. I mean, with the intention of shaping the way you spend your money. So yeah, often. absolutely. But uh, at the same time, it's shaping the way you how we live our lives. Mm. And I think we can look at that sometimes and be like, I mean, I see some things that are quite fearful around that or fear driven. And yeah, there's like the social dilemma and other movies and they're documentaries and they're really good. Mm. Uh, And we can be fearful around that or we can say, actually, instead of being fearful, we need to be, we need to be calculated. We need to be smart, you know, wise as serpents. Totally. So that's, and that's what I love about that story about Bonhoeffer, about about how, um, he, he saw mm. the ideological clash between the Christian yeah. worldview and the, and the Nazi worldview. And he said, we have to be stronger. And you're looking out over that military base and looking at all that going and said, that's strong, but we have to be stronger. Mm. And I think for us, it's the same. Mm. We, we can look at the world. We can look at the challenges that our young people are facing and yes. all, the, all the things that are pulling on them for their mm. attention. But we, as, as the church, as agents of the kingdom mm. in Christian schools... We have to be stronger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's that is that's our mandate, isn't it? It is. That's our call. 
So, as you know, about 10 years ago, um, Eva, my wife and I, we were living in Cambridge in yep. England. Beautiful part of the world. Oh, amazing. And it's this like stunning university town and you ride bikes everywhere and, uh, and there's the river and you go punting on the river and in, in summer, not in winter. In winter, it was dark by like three o'clock. And, you know. but you were it, there for about a year, was that? Yeah, well, we were over in England for two years. Yeah, I spent about a year in Cambridge and, and, and it's like you're walking on this like, this rich heritage and there's all these incredible people who've gone before. Yeah. Um, now, I didn't, don't feel like I really contributed much there, but I enjoyed being there. And um, not, the, not like there C.S. Lewis or the, Tolkien, you know. That's right. <laughs> hundred years from now, they say, Josh Irwin walked these streets. That's it. Yeah. And look at his, you know, like the... His, there's a monument. <laughs> <laughs> there won't be any maybe, monuments. Continue. Maybe episodes of this podcast might find their way into the Rand Library at some point. But... Uh, it's it's a fascinating place, and I mean, and it, you run into these just fascinating, interesting people. And even one day, I was after teaching at school, riding my bike past King's College on the uh, cobblestone streets, and and there were these big black Audis there, and a few police. And next minute, Prince Philip comes walking out, you know, waving at everyone, looks at me and waves at me, and I was like, oh, "Hey, cool. Phil." Yeah, I know it's kind of weird, um, <laughs> and I was like, "This is kind of amazing." Um, yeah, wow. And, and that was that was pretty special. I was like, oh, a bit of a bit of a blast. Um, interesting guy. But then one afternoon, one evening, one of my friends said, hey, do you want to go see Stephen Hawking's house? I yeah, was like, right. Wow. Oh, that'd be fascinating. Let's go see his house. And this is before the movie The Theory of Everything had come out, you know, and, um, which actually did an amazing job. I think they must have used his house or a very similar house. But we drove around there to his place and we're driving around this you know, beautiful old sort of white British house and big hedges and gardens around it. And he's like, yeah, there's Stephen Hawking's house. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And then he paused the car. It was a bit, bit stalkerish. Totally stalkerish. <laughs> totally stalkerish. It's kind of weird when I think about it now. But I could see through the window and I could see him cruising around. In, oh, he in, was actually there. He's actually there in his wheelchair. And I was like, oh, you're not lying to me. Like, that's literally Stephen Hawking right in his house. And I almost felt like I could have, you know, knocked on the door and had a conversation. Which we didn't because that would have been even weirder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, I, we respected his privacy somewhat. Um but brilliant mind, yeah. Like, and and even wheelchair bound and unable to to speak on his own, uh, did he, like the 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 ideas and the concepts and theories that he came up with are quite incredible. Yeah, incredible. And um and and so it got me thinking. Like when we talk worldview and discipleship and all this, I mean Stephen Hawking was incredibly smart. But who who is the smartest person in the world? And I mean. There's a whole lot of ideas. Like you could say Einstein or Da Vinci, or there's a whole lot of different people that we could consider. And there's even, I was reading up, there's some guy in the States with a ridiculously high IQ who's a horse rancher or something, you know, and he's written a bunch of scientific theories and things. Books for smart people. Books for very <laughs> smart people, but now he's gone down the full conspiracy track and yeah, he right. thinks that you know, the government's shutting him down. So I was like, okay, maybe not using your IQ in the best way. But it led me, and as I've been reading things, uh, and particularly the work of Dallas Willard, who he says that the smartest person to ever live was Jesus. Yeah, well, that's an interesting thing. And and when I consider, okay, the smartest person to ever live, because often we think in the realm of science or maths or or uh, or someone who's written something amazing. But then when you think the smartest person to ever live was actually Jesus. Yeah. It kind of rattles you a bit, doesn't it? It is, because we're not used to thinking of... Um when we think of Jesus, 
we don't think of him as an intellectual. No. Yeah. So when we think smart, we think intellectual. And, Absolutely. And what does that mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's so, an interesting concept. And it almost shows me that like, because we at school don't like to, we like to integrate things. Mm. And we often talk about how we don't want to have a dualistic mindset. But it kind of sh- it shows that we have this dualistic mindset because we say we have our academic study over here and we have our spiritual formation over here. And the two don't really intersect. Yeah. And there was that story. There was that story, wasn't there? Yeah. Um, with, with Dallas Watt. Yeah. Yeah. With- yeah. So he went to this, he was speaking at this retreat with Christian educators. Yeah. And, uh, and at the start he said to them, if Jesus was your speaker here, what do you think he'd say to you? And yeah, I think wow. they sat and thought for a bit. And he, he was already planned. He, he said, he thought that Jesus would say, why don't you respect me in your various fields of study and expertise? Why don't you recognize me as master of research and knowledge in your fields? And he says that their response was very interesting to observe. And some thought the question would be entirely appropriate. Some were like, yeah, actually, fair call. Uh, many weren't really sure what he was saying. And yeah. some just responded with, are you serious? Yeah, well, it's deliberately provocative, isn't it, to say that? Yeah. <laughs> it is. And there's something when you hear that, it offends part of your mind. Yeah. And so the idea that Jesus is master of fields such as algebra, economics, business administration, or French literature simply had never crossed their minds. And and had they had a hard time finding access to that when it was presented to them. And Willard goes on to say, he said, in our culture and among Christians as well, Jesus is automatically disassociated from brilliance or intellectual capacity. Yeah. Uh, not one in a thousand will spontaneously think of him in conjunction with words such as well-informed, brilliant, or smart. Yeah. And so often we put Jesus over like, yeah, oh, you can speak to spiritual formation or to, you know, like the life and uh, universe in a sense. Yeah. But not academic pursuits. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so then he says, uh, he's regarded, regarded as hardly conscious a mere icon, a wraith-like semblance of a man living on the margins of the real life where you and I must dwell. And, you know, we could think of him as either like sacrificial lamb, so you just, you know, we just saved because of him, or an alienated social critic. Yeah. But then, can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he weren't smart? Like, Yeah, that's super challenging. If yeah. he's divine, would he be dumb or uninformed? And, and once you stop to think, like, how could he be what we take him to be in other respects and not be the best informed, most intelligent person of all, like the smartest person who ever lived, bringing us the best information on the best subjects. And I find that that challenges me in so many ways. Like you think about what we teach, and that makes Jesus the smartest person in in every subject. And then, but I was even thinking about this before. I'm like, that means that Jesus, when it comes to modern music, he is still the smartest. Yeah. And I think, but Jesus... Like, am I thinking of historical Jesus? Or am I thinking of Jesus who is God? Yeah, wow. Wow. I, wow. I love how um, it's, it's deliberately provocative. Yeah. He, he had, I love that he said that because it challenges you to think differently. Mm. And, it's, and this is so important for us yeah. in Christian schools because we so easily gravitate to a dualistic way mm. of uh, seeing life yeah. and relating to our faith. And that jewel, it ends up being, well, there's faith and values. Yeah. And the chaplains look after that yeah. and the Bible readings. And then then there's our knowledge and understanding. And yeah. that's the teachers do that. We, we leave that to that the specialists. The class, yeah. then we leave that to the specialists in those areas. And never the two should cross oh, no. over. Oh, no. You keep in your lane, I'll keep in my mm. lane. But yeah, but, but it's exactly what he's talking about here mm. is that, okay, well, 
Jesus is either Lord of all yeah. or not Lord at all. Yeah. And uh, so something for us to grapple with as educators, what, what does that look like mm. for a specialist in business studies, yeah. teaching business studies? How is, how is Jesus Lord mm. of business? Yes. And, and how, how do you even bring that in? Yeah. Oh, see, that's such a, a huge question because often we think Jesus will influence the how of what we do, not yep. necessarily what we do. Yeah. You know, we go, oh, well, I'll study business or these ideas elsewhere and Jesus will show me how to be kind. Yeah, or all the love why people, I'm doing know? it for yeah, yeah. world peace. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I yeah. know, I'm going to give 10% of what I earn yeah. or whatever. But we don't often actually allow him to influence what we teach. Yes. And, uh, and, and you think like, if Jesus is the one who knew how to transform the molecular structure of water to make it wine or take a few pieces of bread and some fish and feed thousands of people. like it's, it's, it's a, Yeah, that's a skill. He's got to be pretty smart. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you've got about a thousand kids. I mean, it'd save you a fortune. <laughs> it would. It Not would the now that they're becoming the teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, you think he could transform the tissue of the human body from sickness to health or from death to life. Like, yeah. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, you know, like there's so many things. You could suspend gravity or interrupt weather patterns or eliminate unfruitful trees without an axe, only using his words. Yeah, wow. And to say Jesus is Lord and like we worship Jesus and we sing these great things, but that means very little if we can't say he's smart. Yeah. Like it's it's so... And when you start to think about that, you go, I can't profess Jesus to be Lord if I can't profess Jesus to be smart. Yeah, it, it, that statement forces you to consider how does, how does Jesus actually come in and or where do I have him? Mm, do, yes. I have him do I have him on the throne yep. of my life in every area? Yeah. Or is he just spiritual formation, faith yep. and values, and I'll take care of the rest? Yeah. Oh, and, and I feel like the more I consider this, the more I offend myself with it. Like there's parts of me that I go, that feel offended and in a good way because I go, oh, that's good. I'm glad I can see those areas now. Yeah. Because you go, oh, no, the, these are things that I think I'm in control of myself or the things that I know best or or I know where to look for that information. And, of course, Jesus inspires people and uh, and he inspires people to write and to research. And, and of, of course, like we can't say, you know, I'm not going to read anything, but he is the one who influences that and yeah. designs that and he is the one who created that. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that there's something in that then just just considering that and then leaning into that and, mm. and, and letting that influence you, what it does is it, it's creating space. Yes. It's, it's so often in our subject areas or mm. in our practice, it's just that we, don't, we, we tack on a Christian verse or we tack okay. on a, something to, to Christianize it. Mm. But actually there's something about changing the way we think yes and and thinking this way to actually create space mm. in our in our own thinking mm. because it's in creating that space that we invite Jesus in yeah. to actually be lord in in that in that area and when he's a lord for us in that area then we are able to teach it in a way that has Jesus as Lord. Mm. It has to be real for us yeah. Oh, in, yeah. in our worldview mm. as teachers in order for us to teach the worldview yes. uh, or from that worldview. Mm. And so it's a powerful thing. It is. And I think that, that point that you said there, I think that is the key point for us today, that it has to, be, has to start with us. Yep. That I have to have my worldview shaped 
in a way that sees Jesus as being the smartest, you know, person who ever lived in order for me to then go and teach from that. Like I yep. can't go and try and write a program around that or teach from that if it's not a core conviction. Yes. And uh, and if it's not a core conviction, then that will be shown pretty quickly. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll easily do away with it, you know. And so, so I think for us, at, I mean, we either have to see that, that Christ is enough or he isn't enough. Like there's no almost enough yep. you know we don't sing Christ is almost enough for me yep. it's like he's either, that song well, yeah, that's a real, real big hit that one yeah. um, but it's like yeah we can't say Christ yeah Christ is almost enough for me yep. but then I've got all these other things it's like no no Christ is fully enough yes he's fully enough in in my in my area of expertise even though I'm the expert he actually I, I actually love when um, you know when Jesus was teaching and people were amazed with his authority because he wrote not from a position of being educated, but he wrote from authorship. Oh, he, yeah. he sort of preached from authorship. Yes. So, so when he spoke, they were like, you don't speak as someone who read a lot. You spoke as someone who created, who, who wrote, who designed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for us, like our, we need to be formed by the one who designed. Yes. That's all I've got. Pause. <laughs>talking about is discipleship and in in our schools we've got young people we've got children who have been discipled everyone's been discipled but we want to not have young people and children who are discipled by the world yes or discipled by popular culture Mm. or discipled by there's there's all by a particular ideology or political persuasion or national identity primarily we want young people coming out of our schools who are disciples of Jesus, yes, followers of the way mm. of Jesus. And we can think about it as all orientated towards, okay, these are the kind of students we want, and this mm. is what we want for our students. But really what this says to me, when, and I look at Bonhoeffer and yeah. what it says to me, this is actually impossible to do unless I'm a disciple of Jesus and that my worldview is aligned with the, the Christian worldview yeah. and, and what uh, how... Um, what Jesus says. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it's an outward focused ministry, but really it's so we talk 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 about teaching from a Christian worldview. Mm. You can't come from a place where you haven't been. That's right? so good. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. So, so um so like if, when I was living in America, from an Australian perspective, it's like you well, you can't really come from an Australian perspective um unless you're an Australian, right? And, yeah, or so you've, you've been in Australia. It's it's the same from a Christian worldview. Okay. How can I be confident that my worldview is a Jesus world? Mm. And my experience is that there's a lot of surrender in that. Oh, so much. Surrender of my own ambition, yeah. my own need to be right, mm. and a surrender to the gospel and mm. um, what, what it says, what yeah. Jesus says about life, reality, and purpose. Yeah. And in that, it's more than a Christian cultural worldview. Yeah. Like, so even the surrender of that, because I think sometimes we go like we think of a Christian worldview as like 
like Christian culture. Yeah, it's not that. It's, it's not that at no. all. It's the way of Jesus. It's the way it's of Jesus. becoming more. And you can look at parts of Christian culture that you go, that doesn't look like Jesus. No. And so it's not following that. It's going, Jesus, how can I be shaped by you? And I, I think like we we're talking about today, one of the first steps is going, do I fully trust that you are brilliant, that you are sovereign, you know? And, and, and I think like you were saying, like, Surrender is, I think both of us have talked about this, that it's like the older you get, the more you realize how much you need to surrender Yeah. and how much you go, I'm not in control and I need to continue. Like this year, I've just constantly been surrendering things because mm-hmm. there's so much that I can't control. And going, well, God, you are sovereign and you are in control. And so I guess today we want, we want to end with, with two questions just to allow you to consider how you can be discipled by Jesus to become more like him so that then you can disciple others in the way of Jesus. And, and the two questions, I guess the first one, well, let's focus strengths-based, is Jesus, where do I really trust you? Like in what ways do I actually, you know, maybe 95%, 99% trust that you are who you say you are and trust you in certain areas? And then the second question is, Jesus, in what ways do I not trust you? Or in what ways do I doubt you? Or in what ways do I think that you're maybe not as smart as you really are? Mm. You know, where do I doubt your ability? And that will be different for each one of us. And I think like for you and I, we both have things that are different things where we, we can trust God. Yeah. And other areas where we go, oh, I'm not, I'm not quite it's there hard, yet. It's harder in some areas, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And depending on your life and family and your story and what's happened, there'll be different experiences that we've all had. Uh, but today, I guess, we, would, uh, we want to encourage you to take some time to consider, Jesus, how do I trust you? Where do I fully trust you? And in what ways do I not fully trust you? And surrender that to him and allow him to form you by surrendering that into following him and to being a disciple of him. Yeah, so good. So be blessed, mm. be encouraged. And as you as you reflect and pray and, and see those spaces where maybe I'm not trusting God uh, or inviting God into a particular area of my life or my mm. practice, I pray that this, this moment, this time would be an invitation mm. for you to step into a, a greater reality and experience of God in your life and ministry. So be blessed. And we'll see you next time. Yeah, see you soon.